Welcome. We are so glad you have joined us today. Are you ready for another Bayside Christian Church podcast? Let's get straight into it. Just before I get into this this morning, there's, um, as you can take a seat, as uh, a lot of you know, in a couple of weeks' time, we have a federal election coming up. And um, our an ACC, Australian Christian Churches, uh, as with many other denominations around Australia, have joined together in agreement and doing 21 days of prayer and fasting, which started a week ago. We did mention it. Up the back, there is a sheet uh, which has gone around to every other uh church around Australia basically as a A4 document, basically points you can pray for, scriptures you can pray for between now uh, and the next few weeks. I just want to read you just one uh, thing here that has been uh, written by uh, Pastor Wayne Alcorn, who's our national leader. We just came back from a national conference and I'll share a couple of things about that through the message this morning. But he's just written this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Matthew 6. Sovereignty, our request for personal needs, our relationship with others, our cries for help and our hope in him it is when we stop to intentionally pray that situations change as heaven touches earth god himself promises that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and i will hear from heaven will forgive their sin and heal their land our nation desperately needs a spiritual awakening and our land needs healing since our last national uh, on many occasions for over the past for national uh, natural disasters and drought and national leadership and legislation. In the lead up to the federal election on Saturday 18th of May 2019, the ACC has committed to join other Christian leaders and denominations to pray and fast for 21 days in the lead up to the significant election. It's not about praying for an earthly kingdom or political party to prevail, but that his will would be done as we pray according to the word of God. Proverbs 14.34 declares that righteousness exalts a nation. So let's prepare our hearts to pray for the future of Australia and start to pray from today that his kingdom will come and his will will be done here in our nation. So the sheet up the back there you can grab and continue to pray. And, and I just encourage you that, uh, and encourage other people that when you go to vote, you know, no one's going to say you, you have, it's your choice who you vote for, but vote informed and uh, is my wisdom to you. And uh, my uncle is a federal member in, um, in Parliament. has been there for 20 years. And uh, so I keep a whole lot of, I understand and keep my pulse on what's happening politically around our nation. And it's easy to find out, to look up what every party believes. So before you vote and whoever you choose to vote for, just make sure you know what, what you're voting for. You're not voting for a person, you're voting for a party and what their belief is. So I encourage you to do that, use wisdom. And let's pray that God's will be done, his plan for our nation. That's what we're praying for, that God, whatever way that has to fold out, that God's will will be done and he will be exalted in our nation because our nation desperately needs a supernatural awakening in our nation desperately needs it and i'm going to share a bit about that this morning towards the end of my message today um you know, as the next few weeks, Pastor Ross and Mary away and taking four weeks off. They'll be away uh, for five Sundays, uh, including today. And today I'm going to talk about and share a scripture and talk about Jesus is the way. 
Uh, and next week, we've got Mother's Day with some great celebrations and things happening. The following week after that, in a couple of weeks' time, we've got Pastor Carl Butler here and his wife, uh, who wasn't married last time he came, but he is this time. And uh, she'll be here as well. And, uh, and Carl's a great evangelist, a man of God, and speaking all over the world. So that's going to be a great weekend. And then the next two Sundays, I'm going to continue on this theme and talk about, talk about today about this. And it says in John 14, 6-7, it says, Jesus explained, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes next to the Father except through uh, except un- through union with me. To know me is to know my Father too. And from now on, you will realize that you have seen him and experienced him. So that's a very powerful statement, what Jesus has just said. There. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to the Father God except through me. And I just want to go over a few things about those words, I am the way. And the words I am that he uses, it's, it's a powerful statement. And it's, it, there's an encounter that happened in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. I just want to read part of that when they were coming to arrest Jesus. And it says in John 18, 4-6, that Jesus, knowing full well that he's a, what was about to happen, went out to the garden entrance to meet them. All these soldiers arrived. And it, we sort of think as a few soldiers. It was between 300 and 600 soldiers and temple guards came to get one guy. So they thought... I don't know what they were thinking, but uh, but they thought we need to send a lot of men. And so they, he goes out to meet them. Stepping forward, he asked, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Now Judas the traitor was among them. He replied, and Jesus replied, I am he. And the moment Jesus spoke the words, I am he, the mob fell backwards to the ground. Not a few, 300 to 600 soldiers were, were thrown backwards onto the ground. If you go and I haven't got time to explain, if you go and go to the original language, it says they were thrown to the ground as if dead. Literally, it means like they were thrown and they could do nothing about it. And just by him making a statement, I am he. And so that statement, and I'm just briefly going to talk about that statement, has carried such weight and such power. The moment he spoke those words, it released supernatural and physical power as he said it. Between 300 and 600 soldiers had come to arrest Jesus. And when he spoke those words, they fell backward and carried power. Jesus was stating who he was. He was stating like God did to Moses, I am the great I am, meaning he was God, not just the king, but the king of kings, not just the Lord, but the Lord of lords. And when he spoke these words, power was released that caused hundreds of trained soldiers to hit the ground as if dead. The only reason they could arrest Jesus is because he allowed them to. They didn't arrest him. If Jesus wanted to walk through that crowd and walk away from the whole situation, he had the power to do it. But he allowed himself to be arrested like Helen shared this morning so he could pay a ransom for us. And so I am the way was a powerful statement. So in just the words I am carried such power and then Jesus says I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And we're going to focus on I am the way today. In that time... We, there was lots of stuff going on. See, the Romans thought that Caesar was the way. They looked at Caesar as, he, as if he was a god. Caesar is our god. So they worshipped Caesar as a god. So they thought Caesar is the way. The religious leaders thought God's law and all the 600 laws, the word of God, 
They thought that was the way. Now they would say, oh no, God's the way and they would say that. But really they were saying, you need to follow the law and you need to follow all our laws too if you want to get to heaven. Otherwise God's not going to care about you. God's not going to love you. You have to do it this way, which is an impossible task and made it seem like we're doing all that. So you should do it as well. And so they were basically saying, you know, following us is the way. So when Jesus turned up, that was a threat to them. When Jesus turned up, they didn't like it when Jesus showed up. The poor, which was many of in that day, the poor, the broken and the sick didn't think they had any way. They didn't know what they had. The Romans and you know, on their back, they had the religious leaders on their back saying, you've got to live this way. And the Romans beating them up if they went in and did something wrong and arrested or whatever they want to do. They were being um, controlled all around. They just felt like outcasts, forgotten, mistreated, put down, controlled by religious leaders and the Romans. So then when Jesus said, I am the way, he was declaring, and this is what he's declaring, plain and simple, that all the other ways weren't the way. He also demonstrated the way by healing the sick, doing amazing miracles, explaining God's word in a way that even the poor could understand. He brought God's kingdom to earth and no wonder thousands followed him. The poor, the broken, the sick, when Jesus starts explaining the very word of God and the things of God's kingdom in very in ways they could understand and then demonstrate it with incredible healing and, and miracles going on, then the poor were like, this must be the way. So Jesus, he declared, I'm the way in different ways. He said, I'm living water. There's many statements he used all through the Bible about who he was. And so no wonder thousands followed Jesus. And you could also imagine that the, the made the groups of people angry, especially the religious leaders, because people were no longer giving them all the attention and holding them in high esteem. Now, and then so that, that's why they decided we need to get rid of this guy. And that's why they, needed, they said we need to kill Jesus because there's no way we can stop him. They couldn't stop him. There was, there was, the crowds were getting bigger and bigger and larger and larger and there was no way, there was nothing they could do that could stop him, and nothing has changed today in our world. Jesus was now exposing their flaws to the, the religious flaws, the things that didn't add up. To an un- Remember, there was poor, poor people, very uneducated, so when Jesus started to educate them a bit and teach them a few things about the kingdom of God, they would have been thinking, well, that's not what the religious leader said. Well, that doesn't seem to add up right. And, and so he began to expose their flaws. He was demonstrating God's ways. That's what led to them wanting to kill Jesus. And so the first thing Jesus did, so Jesus spoke to them, saying he is the way and teaching people about God's ways, about the kingdom of God. And the second thing he did, which we mentioned before, is he demonstrated the way. And there's two stories that show show this uh, to be true. And it's the one of them is the woman with the issue of blood, and and the woman that had you know had been uh, at bleeding. It says a lot of her life, and had gone to every doctor, had gone to tried every other thing, every other medicine, used up all her money to try and find healing, and found no. And she's in the crowd, and it says just then a man named Jarius, the leader of the local Jew. Jewish congregation fell before Jesus in Luke 8 41 and and he desperately begged him to come and heal his 12 year old daughter so Jesus is on the way to do that and Jesus started to go with him to his home to see you but a large crowd surrounded him and we're talking about thousands of people pressing up again who had suffered greatly for 12 years from slow bleeding even though she had uh, spent all that she had on healers she was still suffering 
Pressing in through the crowd, she came up behind Jesus and touched the tassel of his prayer shawl. Instantly her bleeding stopped and she was healed. And Jesus suddenly stopped and said to the disciples, Someone touched me, who is it? When they all denied it, Peter pointed out, uh, Master, everyone is touching you. Because he's got all these people like, who, what, what kind of question is that, Jesus? You've really, people are jostling all through the crowd. You're saying, who's touching me? He said, everyone's running into you. Everyone's touching you. And so try, uh, trying to get close to you, the crowds are so thick we can't walk through all these people without being jostled. Jesus replied, yes, but I felt power surge through me. Someone touched me to be healed and they received their healing. When the woman realized she couldn't hide any longer, she came and, and fell trembling at Jesus' feet before the entire crowd. She declared, I was desperate to touch you, Jesus, for I knew if I could just touch even the fringe of your robe, I would be healed. And Jesus responded, Beloved daughter, your faith in me has released your healing. You may go with my peace. So, she had tried every other way. She had tried the doctor's way and done all that stuff and whatever medicine she tried and spoken to this person, that person, and none of that had worked. And then she found it with one encounter with Jesus, with faith, if I can just touch just that tassel, just the little robe, if I can do that, I believe I'll be healed. And she was. And so on that day, this was the way to her healing. And Jesus is still the way to your healing today. Jesus is the way to healing for people's lives, whether that's physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Jesus is the way to healing today. And also, uh, there's another uh, one I want to highlight here is about Jesus is our provider. And we talk, you know, read the story of the feeding of the 5,000 in John 6, 5 to 14. And as Jesus sat down, he looked out and saw the massive crowd of people scrambling up a hill, for they wanted to be near him. So they turn, he turned to Philip and he has this conversation, deliberately has a conversation to stretch him a bit and says, where will we buy enough food to feed all these people? Now, Jesus already knew what he was about to do, but he said this to stretch Philip's faith. And Philip answered, well, I suppose if we were to give uh, everyone only a snack, it would cost thousands of dollars to buy enough food. But just then Andrew, Peter's brother, spoke up and said, look, here's a young person with five barley loaves and two small fish. But how far would that go with this huge crowd? So they've got, oh, we've got a little bit here. And if we had thousands of dollars, we can give them like, you know, a couple of little bit of cheese and rice crackers or something like that and uh and so like but that'll be it that's it it costs thousands jesus we can't do this it's impossible and so jesus says have everyone sit down jesus said to the disciples so on the vast grassy slope more than five thousand hungry people that was men and there was plus women and children sat down jesus then took the barley loaves and the fish and gave thanks to god he then gave it to the disciples to distribute to the people. Miraculously, the food multiplied. Well, that was it. They just kept eating and kept eating, and the food kept multiplying until everyone just couldn't, until had to roll out of there. And with everyone eating as much as they wanted, when everyone was satisfied, Jesus told his disciples, Now go back and gather up the pieces left over so that nothing will be wasted. The disciples filled up 12 baskets of fragments, a basket of leftovers for each disciple. All the people were astounded as they saw with their own eyes the incredible miracle Jesus had performed. They began to say among themselves, He really is the one, the true prophet we've been expecting. And Jesus, just in that example alone, showed that you know it wasn't man's way. 
They didn't have the way to feed all these people. They couldn't find the way. But Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the provider. I'm the way to everything. No matter it's a physical provision, it's your healing, it's salvation, whatever it is. He's saying over and over again, I am the way. I am the way. I am the way. You can only get to the Father through me. I am the way. And that, that statement carried power and carried authority. And the third thing is this. When Jesus went, was about to go to heaven, he said, I'm going to send someone. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And if you wait and you pray and you wait in that upper room for him, he's going to come and he's going to fill you and come upon you in power. And the third thing is, this is I'll give you my spirit. Now you go and show people the way. And that's what we are called to do, to show people the way, to show people Jesus, to show him his ways, to the Holy Spirit flows through us so that we can walk and we can lay hands on the sick and they recover. And miracles can happen through you and me. You don't need some kind of um, special qualification. You don't just, All you need to be is an ordinary person. Have we got any ordinary people in here today? You just need to be ordinary. I'm not this or that or the other. You can just be ordinary and God will use ordinary people to do, to do extraordinary things. And so he puts that out there and says, now you're going to do it through my spirit. You are going to show people the way. And the Holy Spirit is upon us to tell people about Jesus and how to live for him like Jesus did. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to demonstrate the kingdom of God with signs, wonders, and miracles. I, um, and, I wanna, and I just wanted to set a foundation there about Jesus being the way. And I just want to divert a little bit off that now which flows into it but just go a little bit different track for a moment you know our um our nation uh you know is in need of spiritual awakening and move of god and uh jesus as i said before is still the way today jesus is the answer for our nation you know if our local dam lentils dam out here uh was eight percent capacity uh what would our local media be saying about our region we'd be in drought. And so around Australia today, statistics tell us that 8% of our nation are attending church today. 8%. In our, um, in our city, in Harvey Bay, because we, we kind of worked it out 18 months ago, uh, 7% that we're aware of attend church every Sunday. Now, but over 50% of our nation believe in God. But via the census, there's more than 50%. But they're not all attending church. They're not all, they say, I believe in God, but they may not be following him or living his way. And if we were, you know, if we were to say, oh, you know, if it's 8%, you know, capacity in the dam, we're in drought. And our nation truly, if we want to be honest with ourselves, in a spiritual drought, even though God is doing great things in our church every Sunday, even though there's God, there's other stories I could share about churches around our nation where people seeing people saved every week and all that, but there's a lot of churches that aren't. And there's a lot of people that are searching for truth. And for whatever reason, they haven't walked into a church or haven't been invited or they just aren't. They just, they see a spiritual awakening makes people aware that suddenly God is real, that God is there. If you want to ask me what, what is the definition of revival, it's suddenly a community becomes aware of God. Simple as that. That's really what revival is. Where you can take out all the, what's this, that, or the other, it is a community that God is real. 
Suddenly they wake up and and God is, for whatever reason, on their mind. They start thinking about eternities. They're thinking about, you know, about, oh, God reminds them about, oh, the day maybe I went to Sunday school. Or they start to remember, or maybe they, they did used to go to church or whatever. Maybe they, suddenly they become God conscious. And so we're believing and I believe. And, and, and uh, we went to this international conference and, um, and there's a shift that has happened. Um, and we've, we've been going there and praying that for 10 years there's been a shift in the, in the language, there's been a shift in the, every message, there's been a shift in what was going on through the whole thing, and there's this shift, and the, and, and the churches are shifting, and it's like there's a hunger and there's a, there's a desire saying, God, we need a spiritual awakening. There was 2,000 leaders and pastors there, and there was a shift. There was people responding and crying out, saying, God, we need more than what we're seeing. And so... Our, even our nation, over half our nation believes in God, there needs to be a spiritual awakening for them to say, respond to God and come to Him. And one of the ways the Holy Spirit is described in the Bible and revealed is as fire. And Pastor Russell Evans from Planet Church, I'm going to steal one of his um, illustrations and just reveal, and he spoke a bit about this at the National Conference, and he talked a bit about fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, as we need a spiritual awakening in our nation, we need the fire of the Holy Spirit to sweep across our nation. It says in Acts 2, 1 to 4, that on the day of Pentecost was being fulfilled, all the disciples were gathered in one place. Suddenly they heard a sound, and just, and just think about this, a sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering, it was all anyone could bear. Then all at once a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. It engulfed each one of them. They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages they had never learned. Has anyone been in a Category 4 or 5 cyclone? I'm sure there's a couple of people have. A couple of people, few hands flowing up. There's, um, and I haven't. I've been in uh, a bit smaller one, but I've heard people tell me about it and it's, like exactly, it's kind of like a roar that is so loud. And so like an, like an air, aircraft engine right next to your bedroom window going off. And that's the roar that happens of the wind. And it's kind of like that's what it describes here. There's a wind, there's a, there's a roar that came in and, and pillars of fire and tongues of fire. And the Holy Spirit revealed himself with as, as fire and settled upon their head, saying that the Holy Spirit is upon you and it's upon you. And there was 120 believers in that room and spread. And let me just talk about fire for a minute. Fire... For fire to exist, it needs three things. And this is what Pastor Russell Evans shared about. It needs heat, it needs oxygen, and it needs fuel. So firefighters, they, uh, to put a fire out, they need to get rid of one. So they you know, put water on the fire to cool down the heat, or they take away the oxygen. You throw a blanket over a fire, whatever, gets rid of the oxygen. Don't throw water on it like Emma learned. And, uh, and, so, and it's so fire, it goes out when you take out one of those things and uh, and then the fire can eventually go out you get rid of the fuel so you you know your firefighters will backburn so they'll, they'll clear away an area to, so when the fire hits that line of backburning the fire stops the fire stops and spiritual fire is the same the heat is provide God's power the oxygen is the wind we just talked about of the spirit but the fuel is your hunger and my hunger. And if there's not a hunger, 
and the fire doesn't burn. So God is always, he provides the heat and he provides the oxygen, he provides the power and he provides the wind of his spirit. That's, he's there ready to go, but the fire blazes, the fire burns because of our hunger, because it provides the fuel. As I was thinking about this in the last few days, and uh, God reminded me of, I thought, you know, where have I seen that? And I'd, I'd 20, over, just over 20 years ago, I saw this. And uh, I was in, um, in America, and uh, we, I was working over there for three months, and we, and we made the effort, because we were hungry, that uh, so was there, and we went to a place called um, Pensacola, and we had a revival going on. I had no idea what that even meant, really. And so there's a move of God, and there was a lot of people going. And so we, we flew down there. From, I flew down from the top of America, down to the bottom of America, and, uh, and we turned up, and we thought, you know, we we're there for a week. And, so, and we thought, well, we'll... Um, we'll We'll show up an hour early, and uh, that should be fine, and we'll get a seat or whatever. So we show up an hour before the um, service, and we couldn't get in. And, uh, and so we ended up just getting a couple of seats in the back row or whatever it was in an overflow building that fit 1,500 people and, on, and watched it on a screen. And then so we, we walk out of that, that night, and it was, it was even awesome in the overflow building, but we walk out of there, and, uh, and I, said, I asked one of the leaders or ushers or whatever, and I said, oh, when... When do we have to show up to get like into the main building? And he said, "You'll have to come by at least nine in the morning." And so, and it's a seven o'clock meeting at night. And so that's so so we did. We rocked up at nine a.m. and we arrived at nine a.m. in the morning, and there was a thousand people already lined up, standing, waiting to get in. And some of them had started to get there at three a.m. And that was nineteen ninety-eight. It started in 1995, and for six nights a week for three years, that's how it's been. That many people were coming every day, lining up, because they were so hungry for God. I've got a video of it I'm about to show you in a second. And I found some footage of where we used to line up. We're not in it, but it'll give you an idea. Steve Hill, Pastor Steve Hill, who's an evangelist, I was one of the main speakers at, at that place. He says, place. what makes it different from other places? How come other churches put, they put up a sign that says revival have not had millions of people come through their church? I think there was a total of, there was over 5 million people saved in about six or seven years in that church and, uh, and many, many other stories. What makes this place different, the reporter asked. Steve said, it's not the congregation it's not the size of the church, it's not the neighborhood, it's not the evangelist, it's not the worship leader or any other pastor or leader. My answer to the reporter was one word, hunger. He said, I've found the secret of, to God responding to the prayers and cries of our heart. Hunger, hunger, hunger. Just um, play that video, Joe. I just want you to watch Sunday. And why I say all this is this, is how do you know if you're hungry or not? We're going to worship team coming up. We're about to finish in a moment. How do you know if you're hungry or not? Here's, here's some language that may help you. Instead of saying, I should go to church, you'll be saying, I want to go to church. When's the last time you wanted to go to church? I'm not having a go at anyone. I'm just pointing it out. It makes us think. 
Sometimes we know, we know it's good to go to church. But sometimes they make a difference. So I should go, but gee, I, I want to go. I can't wait to get into that place. That's hunger. That's desire. Instead of saying I should, I should read my Bible, you'd be saying I want to read my When's the time when, when's the last time you so wanted? So I need to read the Bible. Before I do anything else today, I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to read it because I have a desire. There's a hunger in my life. Instead of saying I should pray, you'll be saying I want to pray. I want to pray. I want to pray. Instead of saying I should worship Him, there's a desire in your heart. There's a desire in your life to say, Jesus, I want you. I want you. Have you lost your hunger? Have you lost your hunger? Because I believe that at the moment our churches in our nation hunger for God, a real hunger that says, I'm God, I'm getting more and more hungry for you. God, I just, I'm, I want to worship you, I want to honor you, I want to pray, I want to pray for you. And when you're, it's, it's you, it's about you. There's a hunger to pray for our nation. You're praying for your friends. You're praying. There's a hunger to say, God, let your kingdom come. Jesus, I know you are the way. Jesus, I know you have the answer. So God, I'm praying. I'm hungering, God, for you to move because there's a, there's a cry in your heart for the broken and the lost and the hurting. And the moment our churches, the moment the churches of our nation have such a hunger for God and start saying, God, I'm hungry for you, that's the moment that the spiritual awakening will start to happen across our nation. Just stand. You're all very quiet. Have you lost your hunger? Doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. You may have just lost your hunger. Doesn't mean you don't love Jesus. Doesn't mean you don't love God. But is it the same when you first met him? Do you remember the days when you say, God, I've got to read your word. You're so hungry. You prayed. You were praying for your neighbors, family, friends. You'd stop. You'd make time. You'd make room. Have you lost your hunger? Because I believe this is your response. It's your choice. And I believe as soon as you respond with hunger, that God's wind begins to blow his power comes and mixes with your hunger and the fire of the Holy Spirit starts to burn like it maybe hasn't for a while or starts to burn bigger than it ever has and when that kind of fire when we get together and everyone with that fire on the inside of them joins together You know, fires can create, when they get moving and when they join together, they create fire storms, create their own weather patterns that are unstoppable. Fires in Victoria, they, they've measured them at over 30 kilometres an hour. They're unstoppable, moving fires. And the wind wasn't blowing. They created their own wind, their own fire, their own thunderstorms. And our nation 
needs a a spiritual thunderstorm, a firestorm to sweep across our nation. But it comes as the people of God, as they're on fire for Him, as the fire of the Holy Spirit is burning in each and every life. As we come together, it kind of it, it causes a firestorm to spread across our nation, across our city, across your neighborhood, across whoever you meet. Thank you for joining us. Bayside Christian Church Community aims to transform our city and beyond with the life and power of Jesus Christ. If you want to know more or just keep in touch, check us out at www.baysidechristianchurch.com.au or on our social media pages at Bayside Christian Church.